0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in German Studies. I'm Craig Servillo, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Ulrich Gutmeier about his excellent book, The First Days of Berlin. Ulrich, come along, welcome to the show. Hi, Craig. Thank you very much for having me. Yep. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you today. Um well, Rick, we like to begin these shows um, by always asking the author to give us a little bit of background information on themselves. Yeah. I'm, I
1: was born in Bavaria in 1968, and uh, uh, close to the River Danube. That's important for Americans uh, interested in history because that was the river the American forces were crossing. was the only functioning uh, 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 bridge in, in the end of uh, the Second World War. And... Uh, I moved to Berlin in autumn 1989. We can talk about that later a bit more. Three weeks before the fall of the wall, I studied uh, journalism and history at Free University in West Berlin. And maybe what is, might be important or even uh, interesting is that I started my journalistic career with a le- regular column on internet culture in 1995. So that's how I started and. Uh, My subject as a journalist ranged from literature to history and pop culture. And uh, yeah, for some uh, time, I've been working with Die Tageszeitung, which is a daily newspaper uh, based in Berlin, a national newspaper in Germany. Um, First Days of Berlin is my first book. It came out in 2013 in German, then followed a Danish edition, which is funny because Denmark is so small. And the English one uh, which came out recently is the second one and a Turkish uh, translation will be published this year.
0: Oh so that's exciting so you so it's uh, it's expanding into other, into other places. Yeah. Um, Turkey that's interesting. Um, can you have some insight as to why a Turkish edition? It's a very simple story. I spent uh, a few months two
1: years ago as a stipend for Tarabia Cultural Academy. It's an institution uh, um, run by Goethe Institute and Mm. uh, Foreign Office in Istanbul. And so I made a lot of uh, acquaintances there. And one of the interesting people I met was the editor-in-chief of Collective Books. And so, you know, you introduce yourself, you talk about what you do. She was so fascinated by, by a short excerpt of the book that even though she didn't know it, decided that she, want to publish, she wants to publish that. And so that's how it came about.
0: Oh, that's f- fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that, that leads me to my next question. So how, how did you come to write this book? So what was, is the origin story of this book? Yeah. Um, what gave you the idea? Um, take us through that a little bit. So I mentioned
1: already that I moved to Berlin in 1989. And in November 1989, the, wall, the Berlin Wall fell. So that was a great timing for me. I I came there to study history and journalism and uh, immediately, of course, I crossed the border at night uh, to uh, visit all those fascinating new bars and nightclubs in the former East. Uh, There were a lot of squats and uh, I went there and I enjoyed it very much. And it was also like politically a very fascinating time, because it was a time of transition from a socialist uh, system to to a Western capitalist system. And uh, that, of course, um, made uh, or started a process quite quickly and immediately of uh, transformation of the city itself. And so in Berlin, you could see gentrification, something that's very normal to Western cities, Uh, in a very short period of time. So other than maybe New York, London, Paris, where those processes took 20, 30 years, I felt it took like five to ten years, uh, at least it looked like that at the time, to change the the cityscape in a a very fundamental way. And because um, of that, I had the feeling after six, seven, eight years, that the place that had become so familiar to me had changed so much that I couldn't even remember where the party had been like five years ago, because you know all the wastelands um, were gone, new buildings were built, there was a lot of renovation going on, and actually I felt a kind of loss uh, after a, such a short period of time. And I thought it's such a fascinating period I I witnessed. I have to write about that. Once in the future, someday in the future, and that is really when the first uh, idea occurred to me, and it took uh, more than ten years, fifteen years until I realized that. Yeah, that's basically the story.
0: Yeah, you know, and this book is, is so unique in this way that you are you're on you're on the ground, you're you're there while it's while history is actually taking place, um, and you're trying to capture a snapshot of a, of a city um, undergoing a tremendous transformation um, and describe it to people who, <laughs> um, and you do it very well in the book, but describe it to people who aren't there and who will probably never experience in anything like that firsthand. Um, so, I mean, in, in that respect, I mean, in that respect alone, this is a remarkable book. Um, so delve into us a little bit more about your personal experiences. you, you you just mentioned that you felt a little bit of, of loss as the city was transforming. Uh, but how did you feel about the city in the moments? Sort of like almost if you remember like day to day almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, you, you're absolutely right when you say that most people will not uh, uh, witness something like that. And that was actually the feeling of most people pr- at present there. We often said this is the the most exciting place to be on earth right now, which is maybe exaggeration, but of course it doesn't happen very often that in a like highly developed uh, country like Germany, you see a transition like that. So that was really fascinating, and it was fascinating as you say on a day to day basis how it quickly uh, you know like changed uh, from every day something new happened there was, like, construction sites uh, popping up. Like, in the first year, a lot of uh, houses were squatted. A lot of clubs were opened, bars were opened. Um, the the artists came to East Berlin, to Mitte, which is the, you know, like, central part of the city, and, uh, or has been for a long time, uh, until the division of, the like, two countries and the city. And, uh, um, like, really, it was, like, uh, uh, living from day to day, and it was it was like uh, you enjoyed your time so much. Uh, it was beautiful because people used the freedom of that transition to you know like create most fascinating interiors to to bars and clubs, um, created situations even like in the outside uh, uh, of the cityscape. And uh, for me, I was still uh, uh, like a proper uh, student. I uh, During the day, I took the underground to Dahlem, which is like in the deep west of, of uh, the city, to free university to study. And at night, I went to East Berlin, as I already mentioned quickly, uh, and to see, you know, what was going on there. And maybe to tell everyone listening about the situation, a lot of people don't have the exact idea of what it looked like. You have to imagine West Berlin was an island. It was really literally surrounded by a wall. So whenever you would walk long enough, you would face this wall. And But East and West is not like geographically, it's not a correct description. It's a political description. So it means... Uh, The city center was eastern, uh, socialists, and in the west, in the south and the north were the western part. So when you, for example, as a West Berliner, you took underground line number six from the borough of Kreuzberg to the borough of Wedding, you were actually traveling through a number of ghost stations in the city center that was part of East Berlin. And uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of places in the inner city were close to the wall, so this wall was really very present in everyday life. And a favorite site for for graffiti artists. Um, and when you made the transition to the east after the wall had come down, it took like one year to uh, for for like uh, the the East German German Democratic Republic to dissolve and be- become a part of West Germany. And but uh, the underground stations were opening slowly and slowly. The, those ghost stations. And when you went there. It was like traveling with a time machine, because you felt like the place you were coming from and the place you were going to was so different. The place you were going to was very grey, brown facades. You know, no renovation done. A lot of wasteland still. You know, coming from the war times, from from the bombings in you know like the forties, and uh, there was almost no advertising there, and you had, like, in almost every facade, there were, like, bullet holes still, um, you could see from the, from the Battle battle of Berlin in 1945, and it, so, yeah,
0: please. I, w- I was going to say, it must have been jarring. It would, it'd be like going from one world to another in the, in the course of minutes from, from one train yeah. station to the next.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think most of the things that are really like significant, I've, I've, I've told you. but maybe I can uh, go a little bit deeper into, into this club thing. Um, I love the new music in those clubs because what did they play? They played like all kinds of music, but uh, there was a, like a, a lot of places where they played house music from Chicago, New York, techno from Detroit drum and bass from london and manchester techno from belgium france germany so it was a really international thing and and like american underground dance music was really very important at the time and the, you know the afro american techno uh, pioneers from detroit nobody cared about them in the united states but in berlin they were heroes actually and it was a che- it was cheap to live at the time because you know the flats were cheap, or some people even lived in squats for free, and that was empowering people to produce art, you know, to make happenings, make music, to DJ, and also to dance, to dance uh, long, long nights away.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think this in in one of my later questions, I I do want to talk about the city's dance and music culture, um, but let we'll stick still with um, <laughs> with sort of right around the fall, the wall, right after the follow up. And you were, you know, so you were, you were saying that you would go to East Berlin at night. Um, and you are obviously interacting with both people from West and East Berlin during the course of, of, of your day. Um, what, what were those interactions like, particularly with people from East Berlin? Um, I mean, how did they sort of, they knew you, I'm, I'm assuming they knew you were from West Berlin, what you were studying and so on.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, I lived in West Berlin because when I had moved there, uh, the, the, the wall was still there for three weeks, and then Ooh. it uh, came down. So in, in, in the first month, I lived in West Berlin, but very quickly after, I think, one year approximately, I moved, I also moved to East Berlin because it was cheaper and it was closer to, you know, to the place I wanted to, to be. So after one year, I became a new East Berliner, as a lot of people did, and the the crowd of the people who were like those new East Berliners were was really international. So there were a lot of people from, of course, West Berlin, West Germany, but also from all kinds of European countries. There were some Americans, and the Americans were really interesting because at the time now it's pro- it's possible for an American expat living in Berlin to work in a bar to you know to, to do everything with English, yeah, it's no problem. But at the time when they came to East Berlin, they had to learn German really quickly because East Berliners usually did not speak English, or if they did, not very well. So it was really international. It was really fascinating. And one thing uh, 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 struck me at the time that, of course, one of the maybe major reasons why there was a revolution in East Germany why people wanted to bring down that socialist government and they wanted to bring down the wall was they didn't want to be you know like uh, like in a in a situation like a jail they wanted to be free to travel but what they didn't and now they could which was beautiful for them but what they did not think about is that if they can go out other people can come in. And so in the, in the first, uh, uh, you know, like moments when you had a new flat, I had a new flat in, in Prenzlauer Berg, and there was one small shop, and it was really obvious that the, the, the shop owners, it was a private small shop, some of them existed even until the 80s, that they were looking at you with, a, with suspicion, like, what's this guy, you know, with a strange hairstyle, what is he doing here? Why is he living here? They did not realize that from now on, everything would mix, you know, that they're not alone anymore.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about if if you had faced any sort of resentment or resistance uh, from people who had lived their whole lives in in East Berlin and, you know, who lived a very particular way uh, their whole lives.
1: I mean, the, the East German society was very authoritarian, And you could feel, you know, that was kind of a clash between, you know, a lot of the people coming in there were more like, you know, young people who wanted to party, artists who were more like, let's say, liberal in a lot of uh, perspectives. And, of course, that was kind of a clash. But personally, I have to say, uh, that's my experience everywhere. If you are curious and if you are open, you don't, um, you know, you don't meet any suspicion, maybe in the beginning, but after, you know, like five minutes of conversation, usually it's obvious that you don't feel like superior because you are from the West, uh, but you're rather interested in their experience. And uh, I, apart from from that, you know, like um, let's say, uh, you know, feeling of a strange uh, like atmosphere, um, w- w- what I talked about before. No, usually it was, it was uh, very interesting and people were also very curious. And when you went out on the dance floors, there was a mixture. If, if the people were German, you usually, you know, if you were dancing, you don't know, do they come from East or West? And only after a while, when you talk to them, it becomes obvious. But that was really like unification of, of Berlin also happened on the dance floors and in the techno parties.
0: Yeah, why don't you elaborate uh, on that? Let's let's jump ahead a little bit because um, you you mentioned this the dance culture a couple times. So um, I had it slated for a little later, but but we can we can ad lib and talk about it now because it um, it is a really important part um, of this book and and, a, and an important part of the history of Berlin in these days. First of all, because I don't think a lot of our listeners are going to be super familiar with this, um, can can you explain just a little bit about the culture what it is and and you did mention a little bit what makes up some of the influence that make it up but um yeah let's just go into a little bit more like
1: yeah okay yeah sure i can try to to elaborate on this a little bit for people who are not into uh partying and techno clubs <laughs> so basically, basically uh, house music is a is a form of disco it came out of disco and funk uh, and it was invented in you know uh, in Chicago, and then it was also like big in New York. Uh, it's based on a disco beat, but uh, without, you know, like strings or a lot of vocals. It's made by by synthesizers, by electronic equipment, drum machines. And it's a music you can really like uh, dance to for a long time, because it's kind of um, inducing a kind of trance. You don't need, you don't even need to take a lot of drugs, uh, it's just like the dancing itself uh, is like a tri- kind of tribal thing, and uh, that was the most important. Uh, you know, like music and techno is a, is a is a form of house music which is a little bit harder, uh, more harsh sound that reflects the you know like inner city uh, environment of Detroit. Uh, even though a lot of the uh, uh, the, the black uh, men. Who produced this music or are still producing this music? Come from the suburbs, but it, it has a distinct, more like rough sound that related very good to the, you know, like uh, urban environment, or also maybe the tastes of the of a German dance audience. Uh, does
0: that help you a little yes. bit? Already? No, no, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, just uh, just so everybody can follow you when when we talk talk about this. So. Um, and maybe, maybe Craig, sorry to interrupt you, but maybe what, what one should also mention
1: is a lot of that culture, this kind of dance culture, was coming from from gay uh, underground uh, clubs in the United States. So it was very often uh, in places like like uh, where, where Afro Americans, uh, Hispanics, and uh, and uh, gay people would meet and party, and that is also important because that also happened in Berlin a lot of those clubs were also like clubs where gay people and heterosexual people would would uh, mix somehow yeah mm-hmm.
0: um, do you have any sense about how this became so popular in Germany specifically because um, you get the sense and I think the, the average person would say well because you know they've, they've heard that you know Germany has had this kind of culture but it doesn't seem to exist in Paris um, why Germany? It has. I
1: think it was. It was a. Uh, you could say it was a coincidence that this music became very popular in certain places all over or certain scenes all over the world at the time. It was developing at the time. It was the new like development in in pop music, and that uh, coincided with that moment of like liberation felt in places like Berlin, and. Uh, And secondly, maybe because it didn't have lyrics and it was about dancing together, it fit perfectly the situation. That would be my Mm. maybe too simple (laughs) explanation for that.
0: No, no, it it makes sense because, you know, you had mentioned how international the city had become after the fall of the wall. And if you don't have lyrics to contend with and you can all be together dancing, uh, (laughs) it eliminates an obstacle to uh, communicating with each other. And and,
1: Craig, it was very—it was a—it's a—it's a a culture that's like, especially this techno culture. It has a certain futurism to to it. It's a futuristic uh, sound, and that seemed to match, you know, the feeling that everything is possible now. And it also coincided with the popularization of the internet, actually. Mm. And so you had this idea of connectedness and of technology that's bringing you good things. Uh, community that also like played into this, I think.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I this question is probably obvious, but the the people at these at these clubs are almost predominantly young, correct? Yes, yeah. But uh-huh. but in in the in the in the cooler places,
1: there was a policy of trying not to be, you know, like posh. It was not like the like uh, like uh, clubs for you know like very fancy or rich people. Um, they were not expensive, and they tried to be inclusive in a way. There were certain, you know like <clears throat> moments of racism maybe at the doors, as it is always happening in in clubs. but they tried to be inclusive. So sometimes you would also see like older people, and older means if you know like the major crowd is eighteen to twenty five, then older is like forty or fifty. But that happened and nobody was, you know, like, uh, nobody cared about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um,
0: and I want to go back to something you, you mentioned um, that, you know, sort of this, this culture was a unifying sort of force for the city and the people in the city. Um, so that, did you find this as being a way that sort of people from West and East Berlin sort of got together and reconnected in ways that they hadn't been able to do in a, in a very long time?
1: yeah for sure I mean uh, I think all Berliners were suffering from that situation because you know East Berliners anyway could not travel only if they were like uh, pensioners after sixty five um, some of them were allowed to travel um so and but also for West Berliners it was a hard situation to be you know like confined to your West Berlin city space. And it was like a like a trauma for Berliners. But what happened also is that like older people, I uh, sensed very often, uh, you know, like went to have a look at the other side and then went back to their own, you know, like environment they were used to. But of course for young people, uh which usually are more curious and more adventurous than old uh, older ones that for them it was really a way of connecting uh and you know like creating a common space yeah for sure
0: Mm. um i know you mentioned early that you you only lived there for three weeks before the wall came down but i i had meant to ask you what was that like for you what was your was your first thought really as you when you arrived and you sort of moved into west berlin and you're surrounded because you um for everybody who hasn't been to berlin um you you did a good job of saying that you didn't have to walk very far to see the wall Mm -hmm. um, no matter where you were um so what was that like for you as an 18 year old
1: yeah of course uh when i moved there i was already like 21 Mm -hmm. but when i was younger i had been uh uh, traveling there a few times before why? Because West Berlin had this, you know, like um, historical, but, but also like pop cultural appeal, you know. Everyone who's interested in, in like pop culture knows that David Bowie and Iggy Pop were there in the late 70s. And there was like a a, a very vibrant artistic scene there. And so I went there before. And so I, I know a little bit more about West Berlin than only those three three weeks. Mm. But coming there, it was like very um, instantly obvious that uh, there was also like a division within West Berlin. There were, you know, like those people who, are, who were more conservative, more anti-communist, a little bit petit-bourgeois, uh, even a little bit provincial. And then you had this small... Contingent of, uh, you know, artists, bohemians, um, uh, the gay scene. There was like a trans uh, 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 scene, um, artists I mentioned already, music, and so on, and uh, and that was confined to you know a few quarters in the city, and but that but those places were really like. Uh, fascinating and and interesting but it was strange to have that feeling to know that you go there and I mean you have to to imagine we went there with a car when my my parents were so kind to to drive me there so I took like a few uh, suitcases full of my stuff we packed it in a car and then we drove there and uh, before the wall came down you had to go on the transit autobahn that means you had to check in at the border and then you went on this autobahn, and you were not allowed to leave that. And when you uh, came to the to the uh, like uh, station where you entered West Berlin, um, the border crossing, uh, it was like a long procedure. So there were like uh, East German soldiers having the, those mirrors where they would check if there was something under your car. Uh, i think they were not allowed to search it i'm not sure about that but because they were always afraid that you would uh you know have picked up someone from east germany and tried to smuggle them out so it was really like in those movies you know when you mm. see the eastern Bloc. and then after that procedure when you're in a city you know you're locked in now you know you cannot leave that of course you can if you drive the drive your car back on a transit or take a plane but it, it's it's a strange feeling to know to be con- to, to know that you're confined in this rather small city space, and from that city, from that West Berlin, it's only, you know, a few parts which are really interesting to you, actually. So, it's it's had also like a kind of a village uh, feel to it, like almost pastoral sometimes, quiet.
0: <laughs> quiet, okay. I, <laughs> it's interesting. I would never expect of you to describe it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. That, that was a the, the contradiction and even when I when I moved to East
1: Berlin you know you you go out to a really exciting place to dance and you leave that at five o'clock in the morning and then you 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 hear the nightingales sing and it's quiet on the streets nobody's on the streets it's beautiful <laughs> it was f- fascinating yeah, yeah no,
0: I can imagine it was a surreal experience I, I think I I don't, there are not a lot of people who can, can relate to sort of that process of, of going from West, you know, one country driving through another country to go back to the same country. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, I can imagine. And it's funny you describe it just like you, we envision it from movies. Um, Yeah, Yeah, it was like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And the, the, and I, I'm sure that the East German guards were not the most pleasant or friendly. No, no they,
1: were, they were always very strict.
0: Yeah. And there were you know, no
1: joking. There was no, no joking. No joke. No. <laughs>
0: um, so now I've got a couple sort of, I mean, I don't want to call them technical questions, but I, I will for lack of a better word um, that came from your book. So what? Um, you talk a little bit about, I believe it's in the second or third chapter, um, the, the temporary autonomous zone. What, what is yeah. that? Uh, it's an invention
1: by a writer who called himself Hakim Bey. His real name is Peter Lambert Wilson, born 1945. He's an American anarchist uh, author. And he published this book called Temporary Autonomous Zone in 1991. And... Um, it's really like it's a it's a long it's a long story. We could you know like elaborate now. Um, he, basically, he starts with the the first colony in America, on the island of Roanoke, and the, this first colony is called the Lost Colony. I think for Americans, it's a known story. It wasn't for me. Uh, uh, yeah, it's
0: a very pop a very very well known story in America. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> I, 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 I thought so. And his point is that he said
1: the colony was not lost you know those people were not slaughtered by these wild savages but rather those people didn't feel like you know like working hard every day surveying mapping appropriating the new country and by that suffering hunger and starvation they rather ran off into the forests and joined those like savages in quotation marks and uh, and and mixed with them, and uh, he refers to the legend of the gray-eyed Indians. So he said it's rather a story not of of failure, but it's a story that c- cannot be told of you know like uh, this Im- imperialist colonialist uh, project fails because people just don't feel like working for that project anymore, and it's much nicer with those Native Americans there. <laughs> mm so that's how it starts and then it's it's about disappointment of you know that there is no that there is no uh, revolution no revolution really ever happened um that seemed to have be able to liberate humans and so the temporary aut- autonomous zone are those moments in in history where uh, there are liberated spots where people can you know like um be themselves be free be communal and so on it's like a it's a, a romantic fantasy i'd say and so,
0: so you yeah. you use this you invoke this this in your own book because you are saying that this is one of those moments yeah of, uh, of course
1: yeah. and you
0: know it's also this coincidence because
1: it came out as i said in 1991 and you know the the the, the, the ones who are interested in theory or you know like anarchism or like um, f- f- history whatever uh, or in squatting uh, it like it circulated in certain um, circles and uh, so people read this book actually and, and I found it a quite good description um, for that moment when you know like the old old order collapses that was the socialist East German system and the new order, Um, obviously it takes some time uh, till it's really like uh, funded itself into you know like the place and so in this uh, transition period a lot of things are possible and even you know I quote one one of the many people I've interviewed for this book and he recalls that story how even like you could talk like on a very normal uh, level with police officers so they were at night they were using a public uh, pool for swimming a police patrol came and said hey guys you cannot swim here at night it's closed and they said ah come on we're just swimming and we promise you know we clean everything up we don't damage anything let's let us swim here and they said okay if you do that fine enough fair enough you know do that and so uh, that describes uh, very very nicely a situation where even like uh, you know like the police force was uh, was open because they didn't really know what you know they know the old authoritarian style is over and what comes next we don't know so we have to deal with people on a you know like human level and uh, i think that is really described in a in a, in a way by that terminology of the Temporary mm-hmm. Autonomous Zone.
0: Did but, you read the book when it first came out or was this something you you um, picked up later? Um, I
1: read it quite quickly afterwards because it was quickly translated into German and only later on I bought the, the English copy. It was published by Autonomedia. I think it's called a very small publisher mm-hmm. in New York and uh, also like published by a leftist publisher here in Germany I think one year after or so. So I read it, I think around 1992
0: or 93. Okay, yeah. so early on. So th- this, yeah. well, well, basically what I'm asking is that when you, yeah. when you sat down to write your book, um, this wasn't something you discovered, you know, as you were writing your book, this was something no. that and something you'd experienced sort of also yes. at the time. Yeah, yeah, um, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, I, it, cause I, and I, I would agree with you. I think it, it definitely fits the moment that you're describing, um, like really well. And for anybody who is interested in, in these kinds of things, I, I would say, go pick this book up and read it. It is very interesting. Um, okay. So my next question, sort you say in your introduction that this book is about cities. Yeah. Um, so can you just tell us what you mean by that? And, and basically also what makes Berlin different from maybe other cities in Europe yeah. and in the United States?
1: Um, I mean, it's really like a, a complex question. But basically, you know, in, the, in Europe, in the Middle Ages, people in Central Europe speaking German or like something like pre-German, they would say, Stadtluft macht frei. That means the air of the city makes you a free person, which was literally, literally uh, true. In the country, ordinary people were serfs. And they were bound to the land and their masters. Only the city ordinary people were, were free. And I think that spirit uh, is uh, is the most important thing about cities still today. And about the difference, um, uh, Berlin, as many other central European cities, um, is sort of constituted by, by, by a system that's called social democracy. You know, the social democrats, um, it, they, it came out of socialist movement in the nineteenth century, and it's uh, it's uh, basically you could say it's a welfare state. And um, there's a lot of poor people in Berlin even to this day who can afford in a in a city center. Berlin is traditionally a city of renters, not owners, um, and so it's a very diverse place for a lot of people from a wide range of economic backgrounds. Um, and of course, this is changing since capital fled into real estate after financial, the financial crisis of 2008. But it's still something that you know, like makes Berlin uh, maybe a, a bit special. It's still relatively cheap to live here, if you compare it to London or New York, Paris. And that's also the reason why a lot of artists, uh, musician, musicians came from places like like London. Uh, to Berlin in, in the last decades, because there it's really hard as an artist to survive. And uh, in Berlin, it's yeah it's easier, let's put it like, like this. And mm-hmm. if you have to spend, uh, you know, like in general, I'd say, the difference is, or what I mean by a working city, if you have to spend most of your waking time to earn money to pay your rent, you are kind of a serf too. I know that's polemic, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, for the sake of the argument, we, I, I stick with it, because you're not really a, true, a truly free person, free citizen, because you lack the time and resources to take part in the political process and to be culturally active. And so for a long time, and still today, I think Berlin has been a place where this is possible. Uh, maybe this is like on a on a very fundamental political uh, level a difference or a point I want to make.
0: yeah, I, I think it's an important point because I, I think many of us, particularly in the United States, that live in these expensive cities, um I live in washington, d c. very expensive. Um, it's it is. Um, and you know when i we travel, my wife and I travel to Europe, um travel to Germany, and travel to Berlin. Uh, one of the things we immediately notice is um, how much more affordable everything is, um, and, and so I think your your point here is a, is a good one and an important one. Um, something you mentioned early on in the discussion you've mentioned squatting a few times, um, and I was curious: is it, it was this? You, you even used I think you even said squatting like culture. Um, uh, was this a thing that was very prevalent in, in this period? Um, I mean, uh,
1: squatting has a tradition uh, in Berlin that goes back to the 70s, in West Berlin, of course. Um, And it's partly um, like a a leftist movement, but, you know, like to create communal spaces, but also to take buildings out of, you know, this process of speculation and gentrification. A lot of, uh, you know, like areas were totally run down, and so people decided to rather squat the houses because before they w- they would be demolished and uh, this went on till until the early 80s and then there was a, like a political move by the by the by the government to say we have to stop this now it's too much anarchy and of course also it, res- it resulted sometimes in you know like violent clashes between like police and and squatters when they were trying to evict people And so they had this political, uh, it's called Berliner Linie, uh, Berlin Line, or Berlin program, I don't know how to translate that, Um, and it said that from a certain point on, you're not allowed to squat anymore, but they were legalizing the old ones, and something similar happened after the fall of the wall. I think 120 buildings were squatted uh, within the first half year after the wall came down, and then city government in East Berlin said we have also like we set a date now, uh, I think June sixth, nineteen ninety or something like that. I'm not sure anymore. And after that, it's illegal. But still, one hundred house, one hundred twenty houses in like uh, inner city. It's quite a lot, and they were very different uh, from each other. They were le- really like ones where they were like hardcore political leftists. Um, very often from the West, actually, uh, in there. Um, but there were others that were more like interested in the people there, interested in culture, or were more like chaotic and did not, you know, care about a party line so much or about the world revolution. So uh, every house maybe was different. and But of course, that shaped also the, the time very much, this culture of squatting, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it was something that, you know, as I was reading... Um, your book, I I had known very little about, um, I, I did not know that this was such a, a, sort of a, I don't know if I want to describe it as a political force, but, um, a significant social cultural movement that was, was happening in the city. Um, did you personally interact with, with many people who did this? I mean, a lot of people you,
1: you met in certain places, um, were living in squats. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I was not that kind of squat person because for me, it was always too stressful, you know, that communal lifestyle. I never, even for a second, uh, thought about uh, living in a house like that. (laughs) Maybe I'm too bourgeois, you know, my mindset is too bourgeois. I don't know. Uh, But um, what we did was, and that was also, it's a funny thing, in this time of transition, a friend of my then girlfriend found two flats and they were empty in East Berlin. So we went there, we squatted them, we had the bank account number of the communal uh, housing organization. And so we knew what approximately the rent uh, money was for a month. And so we just paid, you know, uh, three months, the money, the usual rent. And then we went there and said, Look, guys, we we've been living in this in those flats, for more than three months now, you took our money. You didn't transfer it back. So that's that's kind of a contract after, according to German law, and so please give us, give us contracts now. That was also a way of you know like getting nice flats in the in in, in this initial period of time.
0: Oh, so that worked. <laughs> well, yeah, it worked. Yeah, no, yeah, they had to they had
1: to give this to us because we had we had paid. And they did not refuse the money, that's like
0: a contract, it's you know. A binding contract, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's just um something that I you know I think most people listening will probably have no clue that this was something that was going on. Um so my last question about the, the city of Berlin. Um how has the city because you you've lived there consistently correct from
1: yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah.
0: i have lived there since i came in 1989 89 yeah so how has it transformed after unification I mean, you mentioned how quickly it gentrified in your in sort of your opening remarks but um how has it changed how has it stayed the same and and sort of where do you see it going yeah that's a difficult question mm. but um, i mean what i
1: definitely can say is that there has been a lot of waves. And the, the interesting thing is when you're in the situation, you think like after five years, there has been radical change now. It can't go on like this. But it always goes on because also it's a city. That's how a city cities are. They change constantly. So there's ever new waves of change. And what was interesting was that it was still after... Those thirty years, it's still attractive to a lot of people because because of the reasons we mentioned before, and um, it's become much more international today. Um, in the beginning, you know, that was a very small crowd of international people in these you know squats and and clubs. That was maybe a few hundred or two thousand people, but now it's really like an interna- much more international place. And still, uh, interestingly enough, when you come from other places, like let's say from London, you still think uh, how how white it is. So uh, it's uh, you know there's many many layers and, and levels and, and contradictions in this. Um, and uh, of course, like in terms of the the, 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 the urban scape, the cityscape. It has changed a lot in the last thirty years. There was a lot of renovating, building, rebuilding, tearing down, um, but the character of some, you know, like boroughs has not changed so much, I'd say. Uh, and there are still like places that are like socially have been quite stable for for quite a long time. But you feel right now that you know this real estate market for the last. 15 years, that has also changed the place like radically, I'd say, because before it was, you know, you wouldn't mind thinking about, um, should I stay at a place? Because it was always possible to find a new flat rather easily. Today, nobody leaves their flat if they're not really have to, because it's first, firstly hard to find a new one, and secondly, hard to find a new one that you can afford. So, that is maybe the most fundamental change in the last 30 years for people who don't have the money to, you know, like, buy a flat or, or, or have been able before to buy a flat. Uh, for the renters, and I'm a renter too, uh, that is, that is a, a, a distinction really like 100%, like, or let's say, like, from black to white, like, mm-hmm. really strong.
0: How would you say that Berlin was different than maybe other German cities, like, character-wise, like yeah. Munich, for example? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, and because it was, like, uh,
1: included in this wall, and at the same time, because it was this, you know, fallen-down former capital that was not so important anymore, there is a, like, very different mindset, or there was a very different mindset in, in West Berlin than in other West German cities. It was rather poor, not so interesting in the end. Uh, and you know, like all the other cities developed during that time, West Berlin did not develop so much uh, until the wall uh, fell down. Um, the German government, you know, spent a lot of money to make people go there, you know, to find a job there, to, uh, you know, f- uh, to to found a business there. Um, and, you know, like, Munich is Munich. And uh, Munich suffered some, you know, like, damages in the war. But they could go on, kind of, you know. They're, you know, like, Catholic, very Baroque lifestyle. And um, that's true for other cities, too. And in Berlin, you you could always feel that, you know, like, memory of the, of the war more than in other cities, I think. And mentality-wise, you know, like, because Berlin was that um, central European metropolis, it was the biggest industrial hub in the late 19th century. I mean, only rivaled by um, by London on the you know on this British island, but you know on the continent was the biggest city. And even though it wasn't like that anymore you felt that very urban, you know, like uh, uh, wittiness of Berliners. You know, the humor, uh, they're kind of rash. Uh, and in the first place, you think they're unfriendly. But, you know, they they just make fun of you in a certain way. And you still felt that, you know, like metropolitan urban tradition in Berlin, even in West Berlin.
0: Um, so we're coming up on 50 minutes. As I always like to ask as a way to wrap up, um, discussion of a book. Um, what are one or two things you would like people listening um, and people, hopefully, who go and pick the book up and read it, to sort of take with them? To, that they'll stay with them, you know, as they as they move on, as they move on through life. Uh,
1: maybe it's something we can, you know, like uh, 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 add to, to the things I said about the city, about renting and uh, uh, real estate. Maybe one thing people should take with them is uh, like imperative of beware of the neoliberal politics of privatization. So because it serves the goals of the view, few and it threatens the future of your children. Because society does not work if everybody's just just look, looking after their own well-being. And uh, uh, for Americans, maybe social democracy as practiced in Western Europe, the welfare state it's not communism it can be very democratic and the second thing is maybe if possible you should dance as much as you can because it's good for you on many levels you meet people it makes you happy and it keeps you fit so skip the gym and go dancing <laughs> go ahead. So That would be my two advices
0: um, well great um, I, I like these these pieces of advice as well um, I think they're good should be heated um, so I are you normally when I have academic guests on the on the show I always conclude the interview by asking them what they're working on now. You you're a practicing journalist, um, so you're doing something a little different. Um, are you planning on writing another book? And can would you care? Can you share with us what the book's going to be about?
1: Yes, I'd be happy <laughs> to do that. It's about punk culture in. Germany or in German-speaking countries around the late 70s and early 80s. Because it's really fascinating how in especially, like not especially, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, even East Germany, um, punk ignited uh, a whole new wave of German language pop music at that time. And that is really fascinating for me because in the music and in the lyrics, you find a like a very fascinating mirror of you know like uh, society at the time, and uh, you find hints uh, to you know think about uh, immigration, uh, racism, um, gender politics, feminism. Uh, and so on uh, and it's really fascinating I grew up with that music when I was like 12 13 14 years old and now I've I've listened to a lot of the records I knew already and I bought a lot of new ones secondhand and it's like super fascinating to me and that's what I'm working on and hopefully uh, this book will come out uh, in next spring in German
0: well wonderful um, and Definitely, when it, it comes out in English, we, we would love to have you back um, to talk about it. Thank you, Greg. Yep. Um, and I, I do want to extend you all a, a thank you for being willing to discuss your personal experiences um, so, um, so candidly. Um, this book's a very personal book. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, you're not, it's an, not an academic study uh, of, <laughs> of some sort of distant figures in the distant past. Uh, Is very much a book about uh, your firsthand experience and your and your life. Um, so, so I really do appreciate your your willingness to um, to talk with us about it and, and yourself uh, <laughs> uh, so openly. Um, yeah, I want to and to our listeners, uh, I just want to give the title of the book again. Uh, it's the First Days of Berlin. Um, all of the the summary, the author information will be in the show notes. Um, and Ulrich, I I, I want to thank you again for agreeing to be on the show. Thank you, Craig. It, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for your
1: questions. It was great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, it was great to talk really to, to you. really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, to all our listeners, we will see you next time.